Welcome to Conversations on Coast Access Radio. In this program we have conversations with people about their interests, their lives, the things that motivate and excite them. So relax and enjoy this conversation. Recently, Nigel Hopkins spoke with both district councils in our community. Firstly, let's hear from KCDC's Sean Mallon regarding a major upgrade to Kapiti's water supply. And then Arthur Nelson from Hortofenua District Council telling us why the parks and green spaces are among the best in the world. The man who might be organising, well, he will be organising the shifting of a 100 pounds of clay is Sean Mellon, the Kapiti Coast District Council's Group Manager, Infrastructure Services. And I've got Sean on the telephone line to tell us about a major upgrade of our Waikanae water treatment plant. Because we turn the taps on in the morning, yeah, we get water out of them, we flush the toilet, we do a dishwashing, we don't think a thing about it, do we? Wash the car with the water, but there's a little bit more to it than that. So on the telephone line is Sean Mellon. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, Nigel. I suppose that's a bit of a worry, isn't it? We just turn it on, we forget about where it comes from and how it's produced and what's necessary to make sure we do get it right. That's right, that's right. People often, um, I mean, it, 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 some of the issues are there because it's not visible, obviously. Water comes through pipes in the road and up through into your tap, into your house, so people often forget the, um, the amount of work that goes into maintaining that supply and, um, and how critical it is. Now, how far does this Waikanae water treatment plant supply water to? Is it how far north, how far south, Sean? So it supplies uh, water to the south, to Raumati South, and then it supplies water to the north, to um, Waikanae and to parts of Peka Peka. So it's about 41,000 people that are um, serviced from our Waikanae water treatment plant. And of course, that number's going up all the time with the population growth and more demand on the system. That's right, that's right. So 2015, um, we carried out a major, the first stage actually of this upgrade at the treatment plant and part of that work was to to put in a river recharge scheme which will provide water for the next 50 years for the Kapiti community and includes a um, significant element of growth in, as part of that. That was innovative too, wasn't it? The river recharge groundwater scheme anywhere in New Zealand at the time. That's right, that's right. So um, the council actually won an award for that project, so it was a, uh, one of the, um, the first schemes to look to re-inject groundwater basically back into the Waikanae River to allow us to take more river water and to um, supply that to our community. Sure, and fortunately for some people they've been able to go up and have a look at the water um, scheme up there at Waikanae with open days. We got any more of those coming up, Sean? Sadly, obviously... Um, COVID and everything that's going on associated with that has sort of limited our ability to, to actually do what, which was a very popular um, activity, as you mentioned. We used to have um, a number of people that go up there and have a look at the site and have a look at the Waikato River and the, uh, the intake and the, um, the treatment plant facilities. We also, um, it's also utilised as a training facility for the region for other water treatment plant operators that are looking to um, get their qualifications. So they come up there and have a look talk to some of our key staff up there and um, really appreciate that opportunity. Kapiti's been very fortunate when the suggestion of water meters were being put in that caused eruptions right throughout the area, didn't it? But it's proved to be uh, almost necessary now, not just here, but right around New Zealand. And I think other councils are copying you, aren't they? Yes, certainly uh, Kapiti hasn't been subject to water restrictions. That's one of the things that um, we achieved through water metering since that was implemented. So um, 
And as you've said, it's a um, nationally the the company has received a number of um, uh, awards for the way that we manage our water supply. So, sure. Uh, now this twenty-four month uh, upgrade, that's going to be a major uh, upgrade, and it's going to cost a lot of money. Where do we get the money for that, Sean? So it's a seventeen million dollar upgrade, and um, it's going to be undertaken over the next twenty-four months. And uh, there's some significant elements there, like you say, to upgrade. So from a resilience and earthquake-proof sort of point of view, we're doing some major work there. And the funding is coming from the majority of that is funded through um, loans, which are paid back through your rates. But we've also managed to secure some government grant funding. There is about $5 million worth of government grant funding that's being used as well. And that's part of the... Um, the stimulus funding that the government has provided to the water sector across the country. Right, that's that Three Waters Reform Program, I suppose. Yeah, it's part of that. Yes, it's also, um, key part of it was also to, to, to get people working as well and to see key infrastructure projects, certainly within the water sector, progress um, as, as quickly and as efficiently as they can. Now, before you start this large structural work, I believe you've got to put in a new stormwater pipe needed. Oh, it's got to be relocated. So does that affect the community in any way? No, that, that stormwater main services the water treatment plant and the surrounding area. So um, the existing main will be in place until we've laid a new one, and then we'll just switch it over. So it will be a pretty seamless operation, as will be the um, the upgrade to the treatment plant. So we put a lot of effort into making sure that the plant is... is resilient and has um, sort of dual backup systems for pretty much everything up there on site. So the work will be undertaken and um, people won't see anything or won't see any disruption to water supply as a result of that. Right. And then you start on the major upgrade around about May, June, do you? That's right. So then, yes, we've got to create a new access into the treatment plant. Um, we have to do some major earthworks to um, to put a new new clarifier in there, which is a major sort of concrete structure that um, will supplement the existing clarifier we have up there, and um, that work kicks off with Brian Perry Civil, who are our contractor. Oh, yes. Uh, the main the main component to that year starts in May. Right, and then you've got to replace pumps and all that sort of thing too, I suppose, have you? Yeah, there is a significant uh, number of plant items that need to be replaced up there. Um, like I say, the plant itself treats water for 41,000 people, so it's a, it's a major asset. And um, there are a number of parts to that plant. It's a very complex treatment process, so absolutely um, some major plant to be replaced. I suppose your concern is actually getting the pieces that you need to be able to replace, you know, with getting stuff into the country at the moment. Is, is that a concern for you or not? It, it is, It is. but to, to mitigate some of that, we've already pre-ordered some of the bigger pieces of equipment that we need that we know there will be pressure on in terms of supply, but... Um, as is the case across the country, um, things can change very rapidly. So yes. um, we've done, we think, as much as we can to mitigate that risk, but obviously we can't mitigate all of those risks, and um, that's what we're just going to have to work through right. in the next 24 months. So that earthquake resilience, I mean, does that mean strengthening of something? I'm not sure what, but does it mean strengthening? Uh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the clarifier I talked about is, is a large concrete tank, basically, that... Um, the one that we have there at the moment was built when the plant was built uh, close to 40 years ago. So um, as well as doing some strengthening on that, we're putting in a, a totally new one, which will be um, you know, up to 100% plus of the new code. 
So, and then also we're looking at um, upgrading and replacing a number of pieces of plant there, the, um, the lime dosing facility and other bits like that. So it's a combination of new kits, but also um, strapping and replacing and, and reinforcing um, foundations for existing pieces of gear up there. Boy, it's a major job, all right, isn't it? So it'll include a, a lot of workers and um, casual workers to be on site, will it? Yes, yeah, so I think the, um, the moment we're looking at about 22 staff up there, um, at full swing in terms of um, the main contract works, but yeah, as you mentioned, sub subcontractors obviously coming in and out of site, uh, local local studies working up there as well as part of this work. So um, yes, that's a major piece of work, but also a major investment in the uh, the district. So how many million litres of water do we use a day here, uh, Sean? Oh, a day, you're putting me to the test there. Um, we're up to, we can get up to about 15,000 cubic metres wow. peak. Yes. Uh, which is about 50 million litres per day. And I suppose the water metres have helped control that, has it? Certainly, yeah. Prior to water metres, we used to get up to about 23,000 cubic metres a day. So, um, you know, that's a peak number, but we have, uh, as a result of water metres, reduced our sort of demand by about 25, 26%. Right. And when will the job be completely finished, Sean? So we're probably looking at um, 2023, so uh, early to mid-2023. Excellent. Sean, we thank you for your time. Just to keep us up to date with what's going on later down the track, we might even contact you just to see how things are progressing. Absolutely no problem, Nigel. Thank you very much. Sean Mellon, he's the District Council's uh, Group Manager Infrastructure Services, and that upgrade is $17 million, but it's over a period of time. The first job, as we've just heard, is to upgrade the um, main water pipe that takes all the water in, I should imagine. But it's amazing, 41,000 people it's uh, providing water for in the Waikanae, Paraparaumi and Romati area, and with our population growing, you can see why everything has to be upgraded. Now the Hortofenua District Council's views. The reason I've got um, this gentleman on the phone, Arthur Nelson, he's the Parks and Property Manager for the Hortofenua District Council because Hortofenua Parks and Green Spaces are among the best in the world. And we welcome Arthur to our program this morning. Good morning, Arthur. Uh, good morning, Nigel. How Son, are you? I'm well. How are the parks looking? I mean, you've had a little bit of rain up there to keep them green this year. Some years they're just brown, aren't they? Yeah, not too bad this year. Um, grass is still growing. I think uh, anyone can see that from their own um, domestic gardens. Yes. Um, so, yeah, they're all looking pretty green and tidy. Well, this prestigious 2021-2022 International Green Flag Awards was awarded to five parks across Hortofanoa this year. Uh, what parks are those, Arthur? Oh, we, have a, we have a reasonably good spread of parks. I mean, the first one is uh, Driscoll Reserve, coming up from, um, from where you are. Um, Driscoll Reserve. Uh, we got that in more 2019-2020. The thing I need to say about green flag is... It's an award you don't just get and keep. You have to reapply every year. Oh, right. So, you know, it's not um, something you can, uh, should we say, sit on your hands on. You need to make sure that you, um, you know, you uh, continue to deliver those services. So we have Driscoll Reserve, um, which is in Manukau. Uh We have uh, Thompson House Park Gardens in Lee That's gorgeous, um, isn't it? Pardon? That's gorgeous, the Thompson oh, Gardens. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a horticultural type uh, garden, yes. obviously, yeah. Uh, um, there is uh, a legend there that um, it has the world's uh, largest bonsai tree. Oh, is that right? Worth going to uh, see. Absolutely. I, I perhaps better put a bit of context on that, um, Nigel. It was apparently a, a bonsai tree that was gifted to the um, 
um, the lady of the house at the time. Um, she thought she'd plant it out, thinking it was going to stay um, nice and small. But unfortunately, as you know, um, once you plant a bonsai tree out into <laughs> open ground, then uh, quite, a, quite a different thing happens. So it's, uh, when I say the largest tree, the largest bonsai tree, I do say that a little bit with, uh, with tongue-in-cheek. So, okay. Um, it is, but initially, well, it did actually start as a, as a bonsai tree. Right. Um, then we have uh, Tiawahu Newstrom, uh, or Tiawahu, the Tiawahu Cultural Park, which has Tiawahu Newstrom um, in it. Uh, those of you who know that, it's the, um, it's the library um, that was set up um, as part of a Dutch and Maori initiative up there, uh, along with council, won a few awards. Um, there's quite a few uh, areas up there. Windmill, as you probably people may have seen, um, there is a number of cats and obviously the River Loop Reserve. Uh, then we have uh, Timari Park, which is in Shannon, um, which again is a, a another uh, recent one we've got, we've got this year, 21-22. That's the first time Timari Park's been on this list, is it? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And same with um, Tiawahu Newstrom uh, and the Cultural Park up there as well. So who, who actually comes around and judges these parks, Arthur? done by a um, uh, horticultural and uh, recreational specialist, um, people who've been in the industry for many, many years. Um, and so it's an entirely independent uh, judge. You know, it's uh, two people uh, come up. One, um, obviously, is the lead judge. The second one is the uh, assistant judge. But uh, these are well-qualified um, professionals from New Zealand across all of New Zealand. Right. And do you get gifted with anything to say that you've been recognised with the green flags? Yeah, yeah, you get a, a certificate, um, which we've, say, we've had uh, certainly at Thompson House Cultural Park for, for the last five years. Um, so, yes, you get that. And then the other thing you get is a, is a flag, and you, have, you can obviously fly that flag from the park that's been successful. Great. So we've got five of those as well. So this must be a big boost for your staff who work in all conditions outside to keep these uh, recreational uh, facilities up to scratch because it's council grounds. Sports grounds, are they included in this? Uh, not at the moment. That doesn't mean you couldn't actually um, um, take a uh, sports ground and, and offer it um, as a green flag. Uh, but there is quite a, uh, should we say, a detailed criteria that you need to achieve. Um, and essentially... Um, you know, that's across a, a number of areas. Um, so, you know, things like community involvement, things like uh, horticultural maintenance, a whole bunch of things uh, into it. So uh, at the moment, we haven't got any for sports grounds. It doesn't mean you couldn't possibly get one for a sports ground, but ours are primarily um, recreation uh, and open space, so parks, reserves. Right. The Lavender Adventure Park, uh, that must be pretty close to getting a green flag, is it? Or has it had one in the past? No, a slightly different thing um, with the Living Adventure Park. So um, there is a, a separate award for community-based uh, um, parks. So it's not just councils who can apply for this award. Other people apply for, for this award as well. Um, they, is, they haven't actually applied for one at this point. Um, it would normally come through uh, the Living Adventure Park Trust. So it is a trust that um, looks after that. Uh, there is... Other places in New Zealand that, uh, that are trusted that do have the award, uh, Tumata Peak uh, being a typical one, oh, uh, right. but it's not one we've looked at at this point. Right, okay. So I suppose with the population growing in the Horofanua at a great rate, you're going to have additional pressure placed on the parks and open spaces. It's a big job for you. Uh, absolutely. Um, 
And it's like anything else, um, Nigel, it's, uh, you've, you've got to get the balance right. So clearly, um, uh, we've got a lot more people coming to the Horror anyway. We've got, uh, uh, obviously, pressures on land for housing. Um, and obviously, the, that pressure um, doesn't necessarily always equate well with, uh, with open space. Um, so the idea is essentially to maximise the value of your open space and ensure that uh, that increased population has both um, sufficient and high-quality space to um, to recreate in. So, you know, this is one of the reasons we go down this particular avenue to make sure that uh, um, that some of those pressures that come with uh, um, with larger conurbations and larger towns um, is alleviated to some extent in. Um, by using, by obviously having these sort of awards and, and ensuring our parks are up to scratch. Sure. And sort of how many staff do you have, Arthur, to look after these wonderful facilities? Oh, well, most of our work is done by um, contractors in the Horofanua. Yeah. Um, there's probably uh, something in the region of 30 in total. In terms of how many look after the parks, um, that probably reduces to around about two or three FTEs. Um, but the work is spread across those 30 individuals. Um, but as I say, if you actually distill it um, down to the number who were physically involved in doing those, um, you know, 40 hours a week, then it probably is between two and three people. Oh, goodness gracious me, with all that work out there. Well, Arthur, you must be very proud, and I should imagine the Mayor is absolutely delighted to know that uh, the Council has received that award, and uh, you'll all get a pay rise, I'm sure, Arthur. Um, we work for the, for, the, for the love of it. For the love of it, of course you do. All right, well, we thank you very much for that because it uh, gives us a chance to pop up and see these wonderful places. Thompson House Park, I've been there many times. The Holborn Reserve, Foxton Beach, Driscoll Reserve, uh, the Timari Park, Shannon. That's a new one. Um, what's at uh, the Timari Park in Shannon, Arthur? Just to give us a bit of an idea. Is it just an uh, out? Well, interestingly enough, um, I mean, those who obviously use the... Uh, the main trunk line between Palmerston and Wellington probably passed through that. It's uh, it's just to the rear of Shannon Station there. Oh, Shannon right. Station, okay. Um, is uh, a little bit of a history museum. Yes. Uh, that park is um, got a range of things. It's got a number of um, war memorials um, to soldiers who died in the Boer War. It's got a ferry that um, uh, talks about uh, the Mamba Two Rivers, part of the Mamba Two Rivers Accord. Sure. Um, and a range of other uh, roses, quite a few... Uh, uh, nice little rose beds there, and quite a quite a feature of um, uh, some older trees. Yeah, sure. uh, Timari Park again, not really known by uh, that many people. It's probably one of the first sites for uh, our boricultural planting um, over a hundred years ago. Um, school children, uh, Maori and Pakeha, planted an awful lot of the native and um, um, indigenous species in there that are all recent charity. So there's there's quite a, a variety yes. of um, interest up there. Of course, the Te Riverside Cultural Park, Foxton, that's absolutely brilliant up there, isn't it? It attracts a lot of people, and it's beautifully kept. That's at the other side. And I should imagine the Manawatu River estuary might come into this in due course, will it? Uh, there is a longer-term aspiration that's been held by um, Foxton people um, to reconnect the loop, obviously. Um, yes. Those uh, who are aware are aware that um, it did get cut off uh, quite, quite some time ago. Um, so there is an aspiration to do that. Recently, uh, council um, was successful in getting some um, funding uh, to start laying out paths and doing dredging and so on and so forth. So uh, there's been some significant improvements in and around the, uh, the riverbank as well. Um, and obviously, we'll be looking at continuing that into the future.
Arthur, you must be a very proud man being the Parks and Property Manager and getting these Green Flag Awards, and we congratulate you on it. Thank you very much, Nigel. As I say, it's, um, uh, it's always a pleasure to, to be recognised and say um, from an independent perspective uh, about what you deliver and the point you made about uh, our staff, our staff are uh, extremely motivated by, um, by these sort of successes, so you're yeah, absolutely right. Thanks, Arthur. Have a very nice weekend. And you. Thanks a lot, Nigel. OK. Yeah. Arthur Nelson, who's the Parks and Property Manager, Horofanur District Council. Horofanur Parks and Green Spaces among the best in the world. Yes, the prestigious 2021-22 International Green Flag Awards was awarded to five parks across the Horofanur this year. And that includes the two new entries, Timari Park in Shannon and Foxton's Te Awaho Riverside Cultural Park, which is a dream to go and see. So congratulations to the council and to Arthur Nelson, who's in charge of that part of the Horofanoa District Council. You've been listening to Conversations on Coast Access Radio, a programme where we talk with people about their lives, their passions, their interests. This program is made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.